God is good. God is good. God's been doing a lot in this house, and I'm really excited. And you know, today, um, like, um, I wanted to share with you something really quick about my favorite, I don't know if I told you guys this, my favorite Disney movie is, uh, is Aladdin. I'll tell you guys this. No, maybe I did. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. My favorite Disney movie is Aladdin. Um, yeah, and it's, and it, you know, it's because, <laughs> I was going to make this bad joke. I, I wrote in my notes, make joke that you're a street rat, but that doesn't make any sense anymore. So anyway, uh, uh, I like Aladdin because when I was growing up as a kid, um, I used to like, you know, like when you're really little, like when I'm like first or second or third grade, you have a crush on a girl and they never reciprocated their feelings for me. So then when I saw Aladdin as a kid, I was like, wow, this guy got the princess. And I was like, man, he, like, if you have a good heart, you get any girl. That's what I got out of that movie. That's not the point of the movie, but that's what I got out of it as a kid. And I was like, wow, this is so awesome. And so thanks to Disney, I had this, like, newfound confidence that, um, that eventually the, the girl that I liked would, would, you know, realize that I had a heart of gold. But that's not the case. <laughs> what I learned, but that's bad theology. Thanks, Disney. What I learned is actually you need to find the right person who values the same things as you. And God gave me that. You know, God gave me my wife, Anna. And she did see my heart. So it's good. So why did I bring up Aladdin? I brought up Aladdin because there's actually two parts of the movie that really irk me. And it's both times when Aladdin asks Jasmine, do you trust me? And I felt like in both situations in the movie, it was very uncalled for. So I don't know if you remember in the movie. So in the first time that they meet, Jasmine, well, he doesn't know that she's a princess. She doesn't know who he is. So she's dressed up as like a commoner. And so she's, you know, in the marketplace. And then she's trying to, you know, help someone who doesn't have enough money to buy food. And so then she kind of gets into this little like situation because they think that she's like stealing. But she's saying, oh, no, I'm going to pay for it. And so Aladdin helps her escape. And so as they're running from the police or from the guards, she, like, you know, the, I guess she has to, well, in both movies it's different, the animated and the, and the live action. So, you know, but essentially there's a moment where she has to trust him to help her escape. And then he goes, do you trust me? And I remember, this is when I'm older now, I remember watching it recently, and I'm like, wait, hold up a second. You just met. This guy's a thief, first of all. You met a thief, and he's asking you, do you trust me? And you're running from the police. So you're running from the police, and you're asking a thief to help you, and he's asking you, do you trust me? That's a horrible situation. And she says, yes. And then on top of that, Jasmine, you know, she's the strong leader. She's actually the better ruler than her father. So she's actually wiser than him. And I'm like, why would you say yes? So that didn't make no sense to me. Then the second time is even more upsetting. The second time that Aladdin asks her, do you trust me, was when they're about to go on a date. Do you guys remember this? So he's King Ali Ababwa, right, from some, from some land, right? I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> you almost got me. So he's, a, so he's a pretender already. But see, Jasmine already knows he's a pretender. Because if you remember from the movie, the first time he came in with this big parade and she didn't like him, right? Because she, she thought, like, he's all this pomp, right? He's all this, like, whatever, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, you're just, you're so fake. You're like every other, like, prince that I meet. So she doesn't like him already. And so then he tries to, like, win her back by, like, going to her, you know, going to her at night and trying to, like, talk to her and apologize. Like, oh, hey, yeah, that wasn't really me, blah, 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 right? And then it's like, okay. And then all of a sudden, like, 
he does this dramatic thing where he like pretends to fall off the balcony, right? And then like he gets caught by the magic carpet and then he rises up on the magic carpet and then he basically goes, do you trust me? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you didn't do anything to change your mind. You basically just went and talked to her at night. You pretended and then, again, you, and he pretended a second time to fall off the balcony. So if I was Jasmine, I'd be like, well, you're just an actor altogether because you acted in the beginning in the parade and you acted again falling off the balcony. And then I'm supposed to get on this levitating carpet with you. Do you trust me? It's like, no, I don't trust you. But each time she says yes. And I want to give the writer of this Disney movie, I guess, the benefit of the doubt that the reason why she both times, for no good reason, trusts him is because supposedly she can tell that he has a good heart, right? right? That, and that's why he's able to like open the Cave of Wonders and all that stuff, right? So that's what I'm trying to get at. So I'm asking myself, why would she do that? It makes no sense. And so I want to ask you guys today, how, does, how do you trust somebody? What do you require of somebody that you trust? At what point would you say that you trust somebody? And of course you know we're in church, so I'm going to ask you this, and I do believe that this is what God is asking you today. I believe Jesus is asking you today, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Yeah? Are you guys ready for that? Let's get into that. I used to always say that. It doesn't seem to be so effective. I'll, I'll come up with a new catch line. So we're going to be in Mark 9 today, and it's a very powerful story. It's the story of a father who asks for help because his son is possessed by an evil spirit. And I want to read it for you, but if you have your Bible with you, you can follow me. It's in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And I want you to know something. I believe this story is going to show a man's journey of how he came to trust Jesus. And I want us to look very closely at what happened in his life. And it says, and when they came to the disciples, now this is very confusing, so I have to set this up for you. Who is the they in this beginning line that I just read? The they is Jesus and his three closest disciples, James, John, and Peter, who saw him transfigured on the mountain, which is this crazy story. Okay, so I can't, I can't explain it to you, but I'm just letting you know that they came back to the rest of the disciples, the other ones who didn't go up the mountain, okay? So, and when they came to the rest of the disciples, they saw a great crowd gathered around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And some of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he been this way? And he answered him from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. 
Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, come, I, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What a powerful story. I want to start by saying something. You might wonder, what does this story have to do with you? It actually has a lot to do with you. No, you don't have an evil spirit. Maybe you do. But you, I mean, but you probably don't. <laughs> Come on, guys, lighten up. So what does this story have to do with you? It has to do with you because I believe that this is a symbol of brokenness. There's a brokenness that we all feel in our lives. Now for this father, it was a brokenness that was in his family. It was a brokenness that was seen in his son. Do you guys feel that? And I feel like there's a brokenness that we all experience. There's a brokenness that we all have in our lives, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in an addiction, whether it's in a circumstance, whether it's in a health, a health issue, a disease of some sort. We all have some sort of brokenness in our life. And in desperation, this father brought his son to the disciples. And when he asked for help, it seemed like things went from bad to worse. Have you guys ever been there? That's what this story is about. That's what this story is about. But I find it very interesting because there's something that keeps us from receiving the healing that God wants to do in that area of brokenness. And it's called unbelief. And I want to highlight something. In this story, we think of only the father, but there's actually four groups of people in this story. And do you realize what Jesus said? Can we go to the first verse that I highlighted? Actually, can you give me the second verse? I'm sorry. Mark 9, 19. Jesus says this to the whole crowd. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Look who he's talking to. He didn't say, oh, faithless father, oh, faithless disciples. He said the whole generation. So I got to paint this picture for you real quick. Jesus comes down the mountain and he sees this whole crowd of people gathered around. It's kind of like when there's a schoolyard fight. Have you guys ever been in one of those? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you're in grade school and everyone like gathers around and they're like standing around these two people. They're about to fight and everyone in the crowd is going like, fight, fight, fight. Right? So this huge thing is happening. All these people are gathered around and Jesus is like, what's going on? What are you guys all gathered around for? What are you guys all arguing about? And the sad part is that it wasn't two people about to fight. But in the middle of that circle was a father holding his son instead. And Jesus is like, why are you guys arguing? You guys catch the very first thing that I read? He said that the disciples were arguing with some scribes. So we know that there's now there's two more people in this story. There's the father, there's the disciples, and there's these scribes. Who are scribes? Scribes are people who used to copy the law because they didn't have printers, right? So there would be these... These, they would be these experts in the law. And it would be their job to literally copy the law. But they had to be experts so that they would know if there was a mistake. Okay? So they're the experts in the Bible. So there's disciples. There's the experts in the Bible. There's the crowd who's gathered around. And there's the Father. Okay? And I want you to know something. Jesus saw this whole situation when they're all arguing. And he said, wow, you all have no faith. 
I want to highlight each of these groups because I feel like every one of us is going to relate to one of these groups. So I'm going to start with the scribes. You might be a scribe today. If you're the one, well, I have to explain something about the scribes and Jesus first. Why were they arguing? The scribes didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what he did. They didn't agree with what he was doing. They felt like he was against all their rules and against their way of life. He always did things contrary to what they did. The biggest thing was he used to always do things on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest, but Jesus was always doing good on the Sabbath. He was always healing and changing people's lives on the Sabbath, and the scribes hated him. And so can you imagine this moment? Jesus is gone, which is good because now they can talk about him when he's not there. And secondly, his followers have failed. Is that not the perfect situation to slander Jesus? Is that not the perfect situation to look at the crowd and say, look, Jesus is a fake. Look at his disciples. They can't help this man. We told you from the beginning, Jesus is a fake. And look at this right now. That was their perfect opportunity. Now you might be saying, Jeremy, I'm not a scribe. I don't think Jesus is fake. I'm not saying you think Jesus is fake. But I'm saying that you might look at sometimes what Jesus' followers do, and you equate that to who Jesus is. Let me give you an example. I want you guys to know that when you, if you've gotten hurt by someone in a leadership position at a church, I want to apologize first. If you've been hurt by a church, I want to apologize. If you've been hurt by a Christian, I want to apologize. Because it wasn't, I hope it was not their intention, but I want you to know that it was not God's intention. And I want you to know that that's never his heart for you. But I also want you to know that you cannot take what the church does and say that that's who God is. Because I want to tell you guys something today. The church is not God. A Christian is not God. Only God is God. And I'm asking you today, and I know it's difficult, and I want you to know, it is our responsibility. I'm not trying to dissolve us of responsibility. It is our responsibility to reflect God appropriately. But can I be real with you guys? You know, even as saved Christians, we're still working on things. We're still, we're still trying to learn what it means to be like Christ. And we will make mistakes. And so I don't want, so this group of people that I think are like scribes, or is it hard for you to trust God because you look at the church and say, I can't trust the church? Is it hard for you to trust God because you look at Christians and say, they're hypocrites and I can't trust them? Do you judge God based on what the people do? I've heard so many times non-Christians tell me, and if you're a non-believer, actually, I'm very glad you're here because it says a lot that you would come and sit in worship when you don't believe in God. And I've heard many of them tell me, I've heard many of you tell me, I can't believe in God because Christians are hypocrites. They say one thing and they do another. I can't go to church because they hurt me before. They've hurt my family before. They've hurt this person that I knew before. And I understand. But can I ask you today to not say that that's who God is? Can I ask you today in this moment to just put that aside and say, Jesus, I want to know you for who you are. I want to know who you are by what you say and by what you do, not somebody else. Because do you guys realize that by doing that, it's like saying to a parent, <laughs> whenever a child makes a mistake, that's who you are. <laughs> like every time your child like poops in their pants, it's like, you pooped in your pants. It's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> or every time your child like has no manners, it's like, you have no manners. It's like, no, that's not true. 
Or that's like saying like when a student in a classroom doesn't know math, you don't go to the teacher and be like, you don't know math. <laughs> you would never extrapolate what the disciple does and say that's who the teacher is. So what I'm asking you to do is not to let them off the hook. They're still responsible for it. But if you want to know Jesus, can I ask you to not let that be a barrier that blocks you from believing right now, to let that go. So that's the first group, people that let the mistakes of the church and other Christians block their belief. But there's a second group, the disciples. And maybe you're like this. You're a follower of Jesus. You're trying to do good, right? You're trying to pray for this person. You're trying to, you're trying to help this person. Can I tell you guys, I've been there. Can I tell you a story where I prayed for healing and nothing happened? Yeah, spoiler alert, right? Because you already know nothing happened. So I remember this one time. Oh, man, I felt so bad. I remember this one time. <laughs> we, we, were, we, were doing, um, we were doing outreach in the Tenderloin. And we were going around just passing out sandwiches. And we were trying to talk to the homeless. I remember God highlighted this one person to me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pray for that guy. So I went over to him. And we were just talking. I handed him some food. We were talking. We were talking. I remember I knelt down, and I was trying to pray for him. I was like, hey, like, do you need prayer or anything? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I actually need prayer for something. You know, he was like, yeah, you know, my, my, my leg is actually hurting a lot. Like, it's hard for me to walk and stuff. And I'm like, all right, yeah, man, no problem. Like, let me pray for you. So I remember I just, like, laid hands on him. I started praying over him. I was praying and praying and praying. And I remember I was like, I don't know if, like, anything's happening, right? So I'm, like, praying and praying. And so I stopped praying. I was like, hey, man, how's it feel? He's like, um... I'm not so sure. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray a little bit longer. So I kept praying and praying and praying. I prayed a little bit longer. I was like, hey, hey, man, why don't you stand up and try? And I remember when he stood up, he looked like he was in pain. And I think he was trying to be nice, you know. He's like, oh, like, I think it feels a little bit better. And I was just like, yo, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was it. I didn't know what else to do. So I, I, I'm telling you guys right now, I know how it feels. But see, the, di the difference, is, so what happened was, what do you feel after? So I'm talking to the ones who believe in God. Have you ever taken a step of faith before and it didn't work? Have you ever tried and to pray for something and it didn't work? And then do you imagine how those disciples feel? There's this crowd gathered around. They lay hands on this child. Nothing happens. The crowd is going crazy. Then these like scribes come, like your nemesis comes. And they start, they start insulting you and pointing you out to everybody. Can you imagine how they felt. Do you think doubt creeps into their minds? I want to ask you today, if you're a believer in God, have you ever had doubt creep into your mind? When you prayed for something that didn't happen, and then you go to yourself and say, I don't know, God. Was it me? Was it you? I don't know, God. I mean, maybe you don't hear me when I pray. Maybe you don't answer my prayers. Maybe you don't move when I need you to. You know, maybe you don't hear me when I'm crying out to you. Do you ever have that doubt come in? Do you ever have that doubt come in? Maybe you're not as powerful as you, as you said that you were. Maybe my family can't be changed. Maybe my situation can't get better. Maybe there isn't any hope for what I'm praying for. Maybe I'm the fool. Why am I even praying for this? Have you ever felt that way? That's that second group of people. And there's a third group of people, the crowd. And I love this group of people because I feel like it's the majority of us actually, in some way or form or another. They're just the bystanders. They're just the observers. They just gather around, and they're just watching to see. They're just watching to see what's going to happen. And I feel like a lot of people today are like this, where you're not sure about God. You've heard him before. You kind of know about him, but you're not sure. 
So you stand off to the side, far away, and you just kind of observe like this. You're just kind of watching to see, is, this, is he who he really is? And you're kind of skeptical. You're just kind of watching, and you're not really sure. And when he does a, and, he, and it, you need to know something about the crowd. They were just as mixed. That's why I use this analogy. Because the crowd loved certain things about Jesus, but they also didn't like certain things about Jesus. And I wonder if you're like that too. That there's some things about God you've heard before in the Bible. There's some things you heard about him and you like it. And there's some things that you don't like. You see, the Israelites, they loved his healings. Don't we all love healings too? Aren't we just like them? They loved his miracles. They loved his teaching when it, when it was about blessings. <laughs> they loved it when he broke bread and fed them for free. Aren't we like that too? And then when Jesus says something and they go, oh, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. Then all of a sudden, they kind of back away. And they say, oh, I don't know. Maybe I got to wait and see on this Jesus guy. You know, when Jesus told them that if you want to follow me, you have to give up everything. They're like, I don't know about that. That's a very hard saying, God. Are you guys like that too? Do you fall into this category? Where there's certain things that you like about Jesus, but you know what gets in the way of your faith? The parts that you disagree about Jesus. The parts of the Bible that you disagree with. That maybe you don't like tithing. You disagree with that. Or can I be real with you guys? Some of the stances that God has on things in life. Like maybe you don't agree that in his word he says that he doesn't agree with the homosexual lifestyle. And you say, God, I don't know if I agree with that. And you stand off to the side. And you say, oh God, I can't draw near to you. Because I disagree with that. And you kind of say, well, maybe you're not who I thought you were. You know, because I disagree with that. And you let the parts that you disagree with and the parts that you don't understand keep you from drawing close to him and having a relationship with him. And so I'm asking you, are you like the crowd then? Because when the crowd saw, oh, you can't heal this man. You can't heal his son. And you stand off to the side and you say, oh, I don't know. I got to wait and see. I got to wait and see. Are you like the crowd? Or maybe you're like the father. And you're going through something really, really tough right now. And it only seems to get worse. It only seems to get worse. Do you guys realize how tough it was for this father? Can I retell the story for you really quick in the father's eyes? He ran and he didn't find Jesus. Do you guys realize that? He ran and said, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I heard he was here. I heard he was here. And then the nine other disciples were like, oh, I mean, he left on a retreat to the mountain. He's not here, but, but we're here. We can help you. He said, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You guys felt that way? I asked for this, God, but you gave me this instead? I need Jesus. He didn't find Jesus. So he said, okay, fine. But do, okay, you say you know him. Okay, then pray for him. And then nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then a crowd gathers, which is great, right? Because you want to be the center of attention in your weakness, in the source of your shame, in the source of your brokenness. And the people are arguing <laughs> in front of you. But no one's even looking at the fact that your son is convulsing on the floor. And they're arguing about theology. <laughs> You're just sitting there helpless. And then it gets worse, actually. When Jesus shows up, you think it gets better. But you guys notice in the story, it actually got worse. When Jesus showed up, it says that when he brought the boy to him. So here it is, right? It's like, oh, I came to worship. I felt the presence of God. I felt near to him. You bring it to him. Look what it said. It said that when he, the evil spirit, 
saw Jesus, it convulsed him again. You guys ever feel like it gets worse? Do you see that? Do you imagine what the father was thinking at that moment? He brought him. He's like, Jesus is finally here. I finally got the answer. And then it got worse. And it attacked him again. Again. And then it got worse one more time. Even after Jesus commanded the spirit to come out, they said that the boy was still like a corpse. And the people said, he's dead. I mean, guys, if, it has to be pretty convincing if the whole crowd thought he was dead. He just lay on the floor, lifeless. Do you ever feel like your circumstance is so hopeless that it just gets worse and worse and worse? And you're like, God, how can you be good? How can there be anything good from this? How can this turn around? Do you look at the sin in the world and say, God, how can all this evil exist? And how can you be good? And then that doubt creeps in. And you say, God, are you really good? Are you really going to come through? Are you really with me in all of this? When I, when I came and you, and you weren't there, and then when you came, it got worse. And when you gave me a promise, it looked like it all died in front of me. And then do you still believe that he is who he says he is. And so I feel like, guys, we all fall into one of these four categories. One of these things, if not multiple of them, really keep us from really having faith in Jesus. And I feel like today, he's asking, he's reaching out his hand to you. And he's asking you, in spite of all that, he's asking you, do you trust me? Now can we go to the question that Jesus asked? It's so powerful, the question he asked. It's in Mark 9, 23, 24. And the man, very interesting, before this moment, the man said to him, please, if you can help us, do something. <laughs> and this is Jesus' question. He says, if, if you can? And Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And I feel like this is the exact question Jesus is asking you right now. He's asking you to look at your situation, to look at your disbelief, to look at what's keeping you from believing and trusting in him. And he's saying, if, he's saying, if, there's no ifs here. He's saying, I am who I am. He's asking you, do you believe that I am who I say I am? I want to point something out to you. It's very important. Do you look at the father's answer? He said something that's almost, it's almost an oxymoron. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Can I ask you guys a question? Really simple. How can those two things coexist? How is that possible? He literally contradicted himself. He said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that confusing? Isn't that so hard? But I, I got something, to, I got good news for you guys today. Do you know what this tells me? This tells me, that Jesus is not looking for you to know all the answers. In fact, Jesus is not even asking you to necessarily put down your disbelief. Because I guarantee you that father in that split second, he had no reason to let go of his disbelief. Jesus didn't give him one yet. He had no reason to change his mindset. He had no reason to let go of his disbelief. But do you know what that man did? It wasn't about letting go 
of the disbelief is about choosing something else. Do you guys catch that? You guys need to catch this. I'm going to say it one more time. This is the whole thing right here. The man was not concerned about letting go of something, but taking hold of something greater. I'm asking you today not to let go of your questions and let go necessarily of all the things that are blocking you, but it's rather that you're going to make the choice to turn and say, I do believe in what I can understand. It's turning and grabbing hold of what you do understand. And those two things can coexist, guys. I'm letting you know right now that in the Christian life, it's not about you knowing everything. It's not about you knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. Can I tell you that? that can I tell you right now? That will almost never happen. <laughs> that will almost never happen. So don't aim for that. It's not about having faith where Oh, I don't have any disbelief. And it's not about that, guys. It's about choosing to believe. That's all it was. All that man did was say, I have a lot of disbelief, but right now, all I'm going to do is I'm going to choose to believe instead. I don't have any reason. I'm just choosing to believe instead. I want you guys to know something. That's what God's asking you to do right now today. He's not, he's not asking you to let go of all the things that you have questions about. He's not asking you to blindly believe and put aside all the questions and trust him without using your mind. He gave you a mind for a reason. He wants you to ask those things. But what he's saying is, don't let those things block you from talking to me one-on-one. -on -one. He's saying all those other things, you're having conversation with something else. Do you guys see that? The scribes are having conversations with their expectations. Oh yeah, uh, you know, God doesn't do this. Oh, the church messed up, blah, 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 blah. Who are you having conversation with right now? You're talking with the other Christians. You're talking with the church. God is saying, put that down. Talk to me. When you have unmet expectations as a Christian, when you're praying and something didn't happen, who are you talking to at that moment? You're talking to your disappointment. You're talking to your disappointment. You're not talking to who Jesus is. You're talking about, oh yeah, it didn't happen. I prayed and this didn't happen. Jesus is saying, put that aside. Talk to me. Talk to me. When you're the crowd, who are you talking to? You're talking to other people's opinions. You're talking to what other people think. You're trying to look at all the other perspectives, trying to get all the right information, trying to understand everything and get more, get more, get more so I can make an intelligent, in, in, intelligible decision. Jesus is like, I'm right here. You don't need to ask other people. Talk to me. And what about the Father? This is the hardest one, but guys, what about the Father? You're looking at the evil. You're looking at the evil and saying, can it get better? Can it get better? Can it get better? Jesus is saying, why are you having a conversation with that? He's saying, put that down. Choose to talk to me. Choose to talk to me. And you see what happened? The moment that man took his eyes off of everything else and talked to Jesus, and the moment he heard Jesus' voice and heard his words, he had the just, just enough faith to say, I do believe. And all I'm asking you guys to do today is to shut out the noise and to have just a mustard seed of faith and say, you know what, God? I'm gonna, I want to talk to you. I want to go to the source. Tell me who you are. Tell me what's happening. Tell me what's on your heart. And I'm just going to choose to believe what you say and that you are who you say you are. And, you know, you might be, you might be here today saying, well, what does Jesus say? I don't know what he says. What's that got to do with me? Yeah, I have good news for you. Jesus says one thing that's very simple. He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. 
He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I want you guys to know something. This story of brokenness is, is, is just, a, it's just a snippet of the real brokenness that we all feel. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know something. Don't take from this story that Jesus wants to fix your problems. He does, but he wants to do more. Okay, don't go and look at this story and say, oh, Jesus wants to make my life better. He does, but he wants to do so much more. Don't take from this story, all my problems he's going to make better. All my situations that are bad, he's going to make it good. All my struggles, he's going to make it better. He, he wants to do that, but more. I want you guys to know that the brokenness that I'm talking about is something so much deeper. It's a brokenness that you have in your spirit. It's a brokenness that you have in your life. It's a brokenness because you don't have a relationship with God. Because there's something that's in your life that keeps you from him, guys. It's called sin. And real simple, sin is simply just when you choose to live life your way instead of God's way. It's when you look at God's design, you look at who God is and say, I don't want any of that. I actually want to do things my way. And you just turn away and say, I'm going to go about it my own business, my own way. That's sin, guys. And I want you guys to know that when we choose to do things our way, we lose the perfect and good life that Jesus had in store for us. And that's when brokenness comes in. When we choose and walk away from God's way and do it our way, that's when all the brokenness comes in. And that's why you feel brokenness in your life. And I'm here to tell you today that there's good news because Jesus came. And why did Jesus say that he is the way, the truth, and the life? It's because Jesus came and he came to take your sin and he bore your sin on his shoulders. Then when he went on the cross and died, he was perfect. But he chose to take your sin and die for you instead and to remove that sin from you and that all you have to do is believe that he is the son of God and that he took your sins away by his death on the cross and that he has the power to give you new life. And so my question for you today is, what's keeping you from believing that? I want you to just close your eyes right now, guys. Just close your eyes right now. I'm asking you, what's keeping you from truly believing what Jesus said? I want you to turn off all the noise I want you to turn off all the things that distract. I want you to turn off from all the other things that you judge Jesus by. All the assumptions that you make about him. All the things you've heard about him from other people. All the things you've seen other Christians do or other church people do or what this church did or what that pastor did. I want you to turn away from all of that. I want you to turn away from your, from your unmet expectations. From all the things that you thought were supposed to go a certain way but it didn't go right. I don't want you to look at Jesus and look at the two things that we should judge any person on. It's what they say and what they do. And what did Jesus say? And what did Jesus do? And I'm asking you right now in this moment to not judge Jesus on anything else besides what he said and what he did for you. And to block out all the noise and say, I choose, Jesus, to look at you and only you. And I choose to believe and what you said, and in who you are, and in what you did for me right now. And if you're already a believer in Christ, is there some area of your life that you don't trust him with yet? Is there some area in your life where you feel like, I can't trust you yet. I don't have faith for that yet. Maybe it's because you prayed about this thing before, and it didn't get better. 
Maybe it's because it feels so hopeless that you wonder, how in the world could this get better? Maybe it's because you've been let down before. Maybe it's because logically it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's because other people tell you it can't change. I'm asking you in this moment to let go of your unbelief. And it's not let go and pretend that it's not there, but it's to turn your eyes from it and to turn your eyes to who he is instead. It's to turn your eyes away from the things that make you think one thing and say, Jesus, I just want to know what you think. I just want to know what you want. I just want to know what you say right now. And for those of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know what God asks of you in this moment is really simple. It's very simple. All he asks you to do is to repent and believe. And what does repent mean? Repent just simply means to turn from your old way and say, God, your way. I want your way. That's it. That's it. And you can have all your disbeliefs. You can have all your, all, your, all your questions. It's okay. You can have all your doubts. You can have all your confusion. You can have all your wonders. I wonder this. I wonder that. I'm not so sure. It's okay. But what I'm asking you to do is not pretend that it's not there. But what I'm asking you to do is to put it down for just one moment. To just turn your eyes away from looking at those things, from thinking about those things, and turning and looking at who Jesus is, and looking at what he said, and looking at what he did instead. And that's all you need to know. And that's all you need to think about right now, is do I believe that he is the Son of God? And do I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life? And do I believe that he can change my life? That he can change the brokenness that I'm experiencing? That he can move me from a hopeless place and give me new life right now? And that's all I need to know. I don't need to have all my questions answered. I don't need to have all my doubts removed right now. And all Jesus needs is a little bit of faith, guys. Just a little bit of faith. Just a little bit of faith. You don't have to know everything. All you need to believe in your heart is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's offering you new life right now. Just like that boy was controlled and possessed by this demon, I want you guys to know that your sin, it controls you. And it breaks your life, whether you, realize it, whether you realize it or not. It infects every part of your life. And it prevents you from really living. And if you're done with that, if you're like, God, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this brokenness in my life anymore. I don't want to live my way anymore. I tried it my way, and it didn't work, God. I tried it, and look where it's gotten me. Look at my life right now. I've tried it, God, and I'm done with that. If you want to turn from that and say, God, I choose to believe that you died for me. I choose to believe that you gave me new life. I choose to believe that you came to forgive me of my sins. I want you to raise your hand right now because salvation is here today. I want you to raise your hand right now as a sign to God saying, yes, God, I choose to believe in you. Just like that father who said, I do believe and say, help my unbelief. You don't have to know everything. All you have to say is, God, I choose to believe. I believe and help me to believe more. Help my unbelief. I see that hand. Praise God. 
I see that hand. All you need to do today is say, God, I turn from my way. I turn from trying to do it my way. I turn from this way, from the brokenness, God. I don't want it any longer. And I want new life in you, God. I want it with you, God. And I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that you came to give me new life. Just raise your hand right now. Salvation is here today right now, guys. Don't wait. All God is looking for is a little bit of faith. I see that hand in the back. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All God is looking for is a little bit of faith. Just a mustard seed, guys. I don't know if you're like the scribes. I don't know if you're like the disciples. I don't know if you're like the crowd. I don't know if you're like the Father. But don't let those things that you see or hear or experience cast doubt. I'm asking you to just put them aside and look at what Jesus said. And look at what Jesus did for you. And say, God, I choose to believe right now. I feel like God's not done. I feel like God's not done right now. I feel like there's one more. All God needs is just a little bit, just a little bit of faith. You don't have to know all the answers. All he's saying is just choose to believe. Choose to believe and say, God, help me. Help me to believe. For those of you who raise your hand, can all of us pray together right now? I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now. Can we all pray together as a house prophetically for the two that raised their hands today? Yes, God. Yes, God. Can we just pray together? Can you just pray with me, guys, and say, Jesus, I thank you for your gift of life. I thank you that you came down and you died on the cross and you bore my sin so I could have new life. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I ask you right now to come into my life. I turn away from my way, from doing things my way. And I ask you, Jesus, to teach me your way. I want you to come and heal me of my brokenness. I receive you today and the gift of new life. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. And I love you. Today is my new beginning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on. Come on. Give God a shout. Come on. Come on. Yes, God. Yes, God.